Welcome to the latest podcast from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. We're bringing you the latest updates and insights from the world of recruitment to help you navigate these challenging times. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the REC podcast, Talking Recruitment with me, Neil Carberry, the uh, Chief Executive of the REC. I've got another great guest for you today, but first of all, just a couple of things you might have missed from the REC over the last few days. Last week, we launched our Essential Lessons from the COVID Crisis for Recruiters Guide. That's on the REC website at rec.uk.com. Well worth a look. It's a compendium of everything we've been bringing together for you over the last few months, all the uh, all the information you need to, as you're thinking about your business and way forward, all our webinars and our podcasts, but also our guidance as well. Uh, in addition to that, on the website, you'll find our latest jobs recovery tracker, which is uh, which was published on uh, the uh, Friday, the 3rd of July, showing an upward trend in vacancies through the month of June being advertised. And also from the 8th, you'll find the latest edition of our report on jobs, which gives us the, the best and most up to date information on what's actually going on in the labour market now. At the same time, working very hard with government, of course, the summer statement this week from Chancellor Rishi Sunak. Lots of work still ongoing to get some clarity on critical areas of the furlough scheme, particularly around furloughing um, teachers over the summer, uh, supply teachers over the summer holidays and trying to work through some of the details of the new flexible furlough scheme, but also looking at critical issues like statutory sick pay and making sure that we're giving uh, recruiters all the information they need to make the right decisions as we begin to build back after lockdown. At the same time, we're also getting more uh, reports from uh, H- from members about HMRC activity, looking at interactions with umbrella companies and also with the furlough scheme. As ever, there's lots of guidance on the website that you can uh, use and do stay in touch with us through that process so that we can uh, understand uh, what you're experiencing. Likewise, in terms of taking your business for, uh, forward, we had a really great podcast recently with KPMG on preparing for corporate activity, whether that's mergers, acquisitions, sale. And if you are interested in that, do keep in touch with your REC account manager, manager so we know what you're looking for and, uh, if we, and hopefully we can help in any way we can. Uh, finally, and uh, perhaps most importantly, we've got lots going on uh, through the rest, of, uh, the rest of July here at the REC. We'll look out very soon for the announcement of our 2020 conference, but also um, those weekly webinars and podcasts will continue. But now on to the business for today. Delighted to welcome David Massey, the Secretary of the Law Pay Commission to the podcast. David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Neil. David, the Low Pay Commission has been around for over 20 years now, uh, and our listeners will have uh, different experiences of bits of government, but maybe the LPC is an area that they they don't know quite so well. Why don't you start by explaining to us what the LPC does and and its role in supporting uh, government policy and regulation? Yeah, so the the Low Pay Commission is a is a very successful social partnership in the UK, which is which is quite rare. For, for something like that to happen in the UK. I think they're more common in Europe. But essentially, our job is to make recommendations on the levels of the minimum wage. And so that includes the national living wage, but also all the rates of, for, for young people and for apprentices. And by social partnership, what that means is that there's a, we have a, a board that we refer to as a commission uh, and nine commissioners. And what makes it a social partnership is that three of them are union representatives or worker representatives, three are uh, employer rec- uh, representatives and three are independents and the 
they tend they that that group of independents tends to include our chair and some academic experts in uh, in labour market economics. So that's our that's our job in a nutshell. So I think it's fair to say the path over the minimum wage over the last five years has been uh, rapid expansion and certainly REC members will have seen that where they're uh, placing uh, temps who are uh, at or close to the to the minimum wage of the, the rate going up after the commitment that George Osborne made in 2015. We're now in a, into a new period, aren't we? Uh, what sort of uh, brief does the LPC have now? Yeah, that's quite right. So over the the, the twenty years of the, the low pay commission, um, it was mainly about recommending a rate which was as high as it could go without damaging jobs. But following the introduction of the national living wage, it it was more about a, a target. So when George Osborne first introduced the national living wage in twenty fifteen, the aim was to get to sixty uh, percent of of median earnings or average earnings by twenty twenty. So it's it's it. It's changed completely, but it's not just the target which is a change. It's also the the kind of tolerance for risk, if you like, from the government's point of view. So an acceptance that there could be some job loss as a result of that. So when they first announced it in 2015, the OBR, the Office for Budget Responsibility, estimated that there could be around about 120,000 jobs lost as a result of it. Obviously, we don't think that's happened yet, um, but it is a change in approach from government. So it's quite a different way of working for us as as a social partnership too. So it was quite a significant uh, rise to the minimum wage in April 2020 to yeah. complete the um, the path that George Osborne had set out. Sure. Um, what was the role of the LPC going to be after that uh, in terms of pathways or targets? You know, if we imagine that the COVID-19 crisis hadn't come about. Sure. Yeah. So. So um, at the beginning of 2020, the government gave us a, a slightly different remit, which some uh, followed from some advice, which we which we put together as a commission uh, over last year, um, and that was essentially for a new target, a new more ambitious target to get to 66% of average earnings by 2024. But importantly, the kind of the the mechanics around that change. So previously, under the national living wage, there was uh, there was this idea that um, increases wouldn't go ahead unless the economy was growing sustainably, um, which put a kind of threshold around uh, uh, growth or GDP growth to the economy. So if the economy is not doing well, then there might be circumstances where we wouldn't move ahead with the, with the, with the path. But with the, with the new remits, while it's still very ambitious uh, and still with this aim of, a, uh, of ending low pay, as it were, by getting to 66% of median earnings, which is the kind of international benchmark for, for low pay, um, the, the remit is is uh, slightly uh, slightly slightly different now. There's what's what's referred to as an emergency break. So our job as a commission is to look at all aspects of the economy and the labour market and to make recommendations that require change. So that might mean, for example, recommending that the target year needs to go back, or that we might need to take a slightly different path going through um, uh, going through to 2024, depending on what's going on with the economy. That's really interesting because obviously a lot has changed uh, in in the in the last few months. Given where we are now, what are the challenges for the commission in in setting um, in, in kind of setting out to decide where we stand in terms of uh, a minimum wage for uh, for twenty twenty? Well, what assumes April twenty twenty one? Yeah. So I mean, this is a uh... 
an extremely challenging time for the low, low pay commission as it is you know for lots of other organizations um I'm sure many more so um but so i mean our principal challenge is that by the end of october we need to make recommendations on the levels of minimum wages to apply for next april so we're making decisions you know many months in advance of when they need to come in which is which is good on the one hand i mean one of the reasons for doing that is to give both employers and workers you know a sense of what's happening what's going forward in the future so they can plan around it but in the current context it's it's very it's very difficult i mean i imagine lots of your members and lots of businesses and workers are finding it really difficult to make decisions about what needs to happen in the in the future um because everything's changing so rapidly so that that's one particular huge challenge um another one is just simply uh just access to data and evidence understanding what's going on in the economy right now i think what's quite unique about the covid crisis and the impact on the economy is that it is it's moving so quickly it's really difficult to establish what's going on um as a commission we talk to workers we talk to businesses we get lots of qualitative information but we rely an awful lot on economic data and lots of those data sources tend to be both quarterly or annual in basis um and that just seems it, it's, it's just not the right thing for this crisis which is changing on a day-by-day -day basis so um trying to figure out what's going to be right for the economy in april uh, next year is one huge challenge but understanding what's going on right now is is another huge one too well i think there's definitely something there in terms of in a smooth labor market you can use data sets that are four five six months old because you can assume that not a lot has changed i mean if you look at something like you know the 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 uh, survey of hours and earnings which is a, a you know one of the best surveys we have and i know the lpc uh, use it um that's taken in april and usually if you're using it in september or october or november it's relatively you can assume it's relatively accurate to where you are then and clearly in an environment like this the the world can change week to week and month to month as you say does that change the balance of evidence that the LPC needs? Are you, for instance, doing more talking to trade unions, to business organisations, to businesses, to workers? And and how has that been affected by the fact that obviously you can't go off around the country to see these people in the way that, you know, one might normally? Yeah, so talk, talking to people is, is one of the key, the central planks of our work and not being able to undertake our visits programme. So Every year we, we go, between, go to between six and eight different locations around the UK and it is literally sitting in hairdressers, pubs, supermarkets, talking to workers and uh, you know, business owners in many cases about how the minimum wage affects their business. And it's, that how, that's how we bring you know, lots of the economic data to light. And also that stuff is, is instant, you know? you don't, there's no lags in, in having a conversation with someone if you want to know what's going on with their, with, with their business or their, their, you know, their, their income situation. So that's been hugely challenging, not being able to do that. What we've been trying to do is like what everyone else has been doing is to try and replicate that process using virtual calls and uh, conference calls and all the rest of it. And that is, has worked well in some uh, some cases. Um, in some other cases, it's worked not quite so well. We're learning in the same way as everyone else. But what I would say is that lots of the organisations we're trying to talk to, you know, are, are fighting for their own existence. You know, they are in crisis mode in many cases. Uh, trying to deal with huge changes to their business, their organisation, and this includes 
um, you know, the, the representative bodies, bodies as well, you know, they're, they're dealing with a whole range of issues. So it's just trying to get them to eke out some time for us to talk about this stuff and to try and figure out well, some thinking time to think about what, uh, what should happen or what could happen with the minimum wage going forward. Because at the moment, lots of people are very rightly focused on the now, you know, and trying to, trying to get through each week. But I would say that, I mean, there are some other things we can be doing. You, you talked about the, uh, the balance of evidence as well. I think some things have, have changed uh, recently in terms of access to, to data. And I think we at the LPC have been particularly impressed and pleased with the work that the ONS have done on, on data and evidence. So, you know, knocking out a kind of a business survey every couple of weeks, which can give you some really up to date information about what's going on making changes to the to the labour force survey which is uh, the big household survey where we get our estimates of employment and unemployment and changes and those kind of things getting access to that in a more granular fashion so you can look at what's going on week to week that's really helpful but also we're like everyone else experimenting with um uh these new kind of up to the minute indicators you know there's estimates of people's mobility there's uh there's uh online recruitment vacancies there's uh there's use of like um, restaurant booking tables and uh, retail footfall, all these kind of new indicators and data sources, which we're trying to figure out what, if anything, they tell us about what's going on with the with the real economy right now. But in some ways, all of that speaks to almost a, a bit of a return, at least for a little while, to the original kind of world of the low pay commission, which is, you know, how do we raise the minimum wage in a way that is sustainable to support employment levels for low-paid workers. I mean, this in this situation in particular, um, the sectors that are affected by the minimum wage seem to me to be front and centre um, in both kind of the effect of jobs losses, if you think about non-food retail and you think about hospitality or at least effective long-scale shutdown, and then on the other side, right front and centre in sectors like social care. Yeah, the impact across sectors is that, yeah, it's 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 quite peculiar. So in some in some cases, well, most sectors have been hit in one way or another, but some sectors, particularly as people focused ones, have changed. And what's interesting from us from for, from a low pay uh, low pay point of view is that while there's lo- always lots of variation within low paying sectors, so you know differences between retail and hospitality and social care and what have you. Um, Often those pressures are moving in broadly in the same direction. So, for, for instance, pay pressures or you know, changes to jobs. But at the moment with the COVID crisis, there's a bit of a, a kind of a bifurcation. So, you know, you've got some sectors which have just had to be closed down and uh, workers are largely furloughed. They're on the, the CJRS scheme um, and, you know, just you know, waiting to see what happens next. But in other sectors, they've had to go for health or leather and are working really hard in a much higher risk, higher stress environment where there's more work available perhaps, and there's uh, sometimes upward pressure on pay, whereby we've seen so from um, in the supermarkets, for example, that you know some of those have chosen to kind of temporarily raise pay in some instances to try and reward some of this extra hard work and risk taking that um, the workers are doing. So you've got this quite interesting split across sectors, but all of them have been hit to some extent one way or another. So that speaks to a kind of a, a more complex picture for decision making in terms of the future of the, the minimum wage. If you think unemployment, as many people uh, predict, will rise through the second half of the year. You've got plenty of employers in, in the uh, labour intensive industries in real trouble. I mean, hospitality is the most obvious example of that. 
at the same end, you've got a lot of low-paid workers who have been working a lot of hours to, as key workers to get to get the country through. It strikes me, therefore, that, that there's a more complex question being asked of the Commission this year than maybe in previous years. Would that be fair? I think so, yeah. I mean, especially if you combine that with what we were talking about before, you know, the uncertainty with what's going on with the economy right now and how it might change and, you know, the access to the evidence combined with this, you know, it's the variation in what's going on within sectors and the different pressures on those sectors. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely more complicated, certainly more complicated than when you look back at the uh, the financial crisis or something like that. And so if people are listening to this and thinking, you know, I've got some experience to share uh, on what's going on, how, how would people put that forward to, to a body like the Commission? Yes. Yeah, so if, if people wanted to, to contact us and, and provide us with any, any information about what's going on in their industry or their, their workplace, we'd be very pleased to hear that information. We do receive individual submissions from, uh, from businesses and workers across the year, even though we do have a written consultation, which kind of opens in March and closes in, at the beginning of the summer. But we do accept submissions throughout the year, and that's normal for us. So if you want to give us that, some of that information, you can get it to us on lpc at lowpay.gov.uk which is our kind of uh, overall email address. I'll just say that once more. So it's lpc at lowpay.gov.uk and we'd be pleased to receive any submissions along those lines. Thanks, David. And obviously, uh, we're very happy at the REC to uh, to take views from members as well. In fact, the REC team were giving evidence to low-pay commissioners on the 15th of July, I think, as part of the, the process. And that's really about educating the path towards uh, a decision on the uh, national minimum wage rates for 2021. I suppose there are, there are a couple of questions that, that occur just thinking about those rates. Uh, the first of which is, I mean, what we now have the, the this adult rate called the national living wage and have had for a few years now. But how does that compare in terms of methodology and thinking and coverage with the, uh, the, the living wage set by the Living Wage Commission that maybe uh, some listeners have heard of either because they've signed up to it or because they've seen some of the campaigning around it? We get this question a lot because, they're, well, they're, they have rather similar names. So it's it's easy to get those those two things confused. So, uh, so the national living wage is, as you said, it's basically a, a renamed version of the of the national minimum wage. It's basically a minimum wage for anyone aged twenty five and over. So it's it's purely another minimum wage rate, and so that just means you know for all legal purposes you can't be paid below that. Although there are certain circumstances where you can have deductions below it, but by and large it's it's a legal minimum. Whereas the, the living wage, which is calculated by the uh, Living Wage Foundation, is more is much more of a, a living wage that takes into account uh, people's living standards and inflation. So from what I understand, they look at a broad range of, of, uh, of household types. You know, for example, you know, a lone parent household versus a household with, you know, two parents and three kids. And, you know, so varying household types and look at what's the typical basket of goods and costs that those households face, and therefore um, what is a kind of reasonable hourly rate to help you cover those costs. And they have obviously have to make assumptions about how many hours people work, et cetera, et cetera. And that, but that idea then is to give you, or to give employers an idea if they're, if they're able to, to pay uh, above the national minimum and want to go for something more ambitious, then they can go for the living wage and, uh, and yeah, keep, keep an eye out for that each year. But they are quite different things, even though they have very similar names. 
So I think that quite a, a big disparity there, which is yeah. that the living wage is kind of the, the cost of living divided by a number of working hours, which uh, is voluntary for employers to say is sign up to, uh, whereas the national living wage for uh, for workers who qualify not not to pay that is absolutely illegal. That's exactly the difference, yeah. So tell me a bit about enforcement then, because, you know, over uh, the last weekend, the 4th and 5th of July, we've we've seen quite a lot of discussion about uh, potentially some non-compliance with minimum wage rules in Leicester, in the press. Um, how, how is this enforced and does the Commission have a role in driving that enforcement? Sure, sure, yeah. So uh, this is an interesting one for us because the, the Low Pay Commission, we don't have a, a direct role in it. We, you know, um, government doesn't specifically give us a role, but because we spend our entire lives uh, thinking about the minimum wage and talking to workers and businesses about it, we do gather an awful lot of intelligence. So over the years, we've always been um, providing advice uh, to government on the on the enforcement of a, of minimum wage, but we don't have a formal role. Obviously, we talk to HMRC, whose job is to enforce the minimum wage rules on behalf of the Department for Business. So it's a kind of extension of their, their kind of tax enforcement roles. And the, and broadly, the, the way they work is they have a, 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 they have a, a large and growing team of inspectors, which are you know regionally based or across the UK. And they do a mixture of um, desk-based investigations. They, you know, they have gathered an awful lot of intelligence via the, the tax system and other networks. Um, and also you just go out and inspect businesses and also talk to other inspection type agencies. So they do lots of work with the health and safety executive, for example. So it's a, it's quite a big enforcement operation. I think they have over 400, maybe possibly higher than that, um, uh, enforcement officers around the country. But I'd imagine that, um, and I'm, I'm speculating here, I imagine that over recent weeks, the, the lockdown has probably stimmed their enforcement actions, certainly the kind of face-to-face -face type inspections that they that they do, uh, but they have got these other roles. So that's the kind of more direct end of the uh, enforcement spectrum, but they have a kind of promote aspect to their, aspect to their work, work as well, whereby they try to provide educational resources and opportunities to learn for businesses. So things like webinars and doing awful lot of kind of communications activity for employers and for workers to understand whether they are, um, you know, being paid the right amount. So there's online tools whereby I think both employers and workers can check to see if they've paid the right amount and then on that basis you know talk to their boss or talk to someone else or maybe talk to ACAS to get some advice on if there's, an, if there's an issue there so it's the whole spectrum from promotion and communication right down to kind of direct uh, inspection showing up at workplaces and, and, and looking at HR records and the like. So if you look at the kind of universe of people who are paid relatively low rates of pay you know a lot of it people would traditionally think of minimum wage as a kind of entry-level rate. So they'd expect a lot of young people to be affected by uh, minimum wages. And I know there are kind of uh, specific youth rates um, that are uh, that are set uh, on the LPC's recommendation. Is, is young people a particular focus for the Commission this year, given everything that we're seeing about the effect that... Um, uh, the effect that the crisis might have on younger workers? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So so young people are, are always a major focus for us for a number of reasons. So um, uh, perhaps I should have clarified earlier, but so while the uh, the national living wage, which is the rate which applies to those aged 25 and over, is subject to this uh, this target, um, 
you know, to get it to, to, to 66% by, um, by 2024. That isn't the case for those aged below uh, uh, 25 at the moment. For that group, and that includes apprentices as well, by the way, for that group, the remit is as it always has been for the last 20 years, which is to raise it as high as possible uh, without damaging jobs. And, and that's, there's, a, there's a clear reason why we have the setup we do with the with a with a, a rate which applies from 25 and then several rates below that for, for younger age groups because for younger people in the labor market uh, are just more at risk of unemployment particularly in a downturn that that's always been the case i think the broad rule of thumb is that youth unemployment tends to run at about twice adult unemployment um, and that's for lots of reasons and it's not to do with young people themselves it's to do with the way the labor market works and the labor market in in the uk overwhelmingly rewards experience and so if you're a young person you f- you frequently have you know less experience than someone five or ten years older than you and so uh yeah <clears throat> you, you don't have the, the experience you're able to compete in the, in the same way equally the way recruitment works it can vary a lot so there's still an awful lot of word of mouth type recruitments you know, to do that sort of thing, you need an awful lot of, uh, you know, social contacts and social capital. Those are the things which we, you know, workers, we build up over time. And if you're a young person new to the labour market, you don't have those same contacts. So it's all the more challenging. But at the moment, the real challenge is that, and this, and this has always been the case, you know, um, the sectors of the economy, which are most, you know, what we call pro-cyclical, you know, they, they move with the cycle up and down, are the kind of, you know, the people-centred retail and hospitality sectors. So, those are the ones where in any downturn, people, you know, start to eat out less, start to shop a bit less. And so young people working in those sectors are more at risk. But obviously, in the COVID crisis, where those sectors have been largely shut down, they are they are much more likely to be to be to be hit by those those effects. And also, just one final point, I mean, going back to what we were saying before about the speed of this crisis and how rapidly it's moving. Um, we've introduced a broad range of support. And when I say we, I mean, um, you know, the government's uh, uh, policy around things like the, the coronavirus job retention scheme, which it seems to have been, you know, uh, pretty successful so far. Um, but there are lots of young people who are, you know, still entering the labour market. So it's all about the flows into, into, into jobs for them. And so people who are leaving education as we speak, you know, between now and September uh, are going to be at considerable risk because there simply aren't any vacancies out there. Those normal recruitment processes whereby, you know, especially with the highly... Uh, seasonal sectors, a highly seasonal aspect to hospitality and what have you, where we would normally hoover up loads of people who are just dropping out of uh, college or university or picking up some summer work. Um, those opportunities won't be there. So there's a there's a number a number of uh, different risks for young people, which we'll have to think about carefully as we as we approach uh, October. That's really interesting, David. And I, I have to say that I I don't think you'll find many listeners on this podcast who uh, who would argue that. Uh, uh, avoiding word of mouth recruitment and going through proper recruitment processes using an excellent REC member who is a good, who who would have any arguments with that being a good plan uh, for any <laughs> yes. for any employer. So just to just to draw this together, um, you know, many employers uh, maybe uh, saw quite a substantial increase announced by the government at the tail end of last year, accepting the Low Pay Commission's recommendation. Maybe a little surprised the government didn't think about whether to go ahead with that um, in April after the onset of the COVID crisis and you know I know that government was very clear then that they they wanted to uh, make sure that people who were banking on that increase got it um, for many businesses of course who are affected by the wage the critical thing is planning and understanding what the impact would be 
So what's the likely kind of window for um, companies finding out what sort of impact the minimum wage will have on their uh, pay bills next year? And when? What, what's the process from here on? And when are we likely to be able to hear something from the government? Yeah, exactly as you said, you know, providing some certainty um, in this environment, you know, when everything's so uncertain is, is, is pretty important, I think, for something like the minimum wage. So the way the rest of the, the, the what we refer to as a cycle, because it's an it's a annual repeating process, is that we'll provide some advice by the end of October to governments. They normally announce that as part of a... Uh, you know, the kind of autumn, what we call a fiscal event, so, you know, a budget or an autumn statement, whatever that um, thing is, so whereby the Chancellor stands up in Parliament and makes a series of spending pledges, it's normally announced as part of that process, so which normally takes place around uh, November time. For the for the national living wage rates last year, it was later than that because that there was a change last year because of the general election that pushed everything back. But I suspect that the, the, the plan will be the same this time, you know, uh, barring any further changes, of course, but um, so that would be announced around mid-November for a rate to come in in April. So hopefully give enough time for for, for businesses and, and, and others to plan. But obviously that, going back to what I was saying at the end, at the beginning, it, it's really challenging to try and make a judgment as to what the rate, the right rates for next April is by the end of October when things are moving so quickly. That is a, that's a key challenge for us uh, for the rest of the year. Well, I, I think the main thing to say is that um, making sure that uh, the Commission has a really deep understanding of what's going on up to that point is really important. And uh, and, and listeners are encouraged to get in touch with both the, the Commission directly and with the REC with any insight or evidence that they have that they want to bring to bear to that discussion. Uh, David, thank you very much for joining us today on the pod. It's been a really interesting discussion. Great. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us on this episode too. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, do try out some of our previous episodes. If you think about mergers and acquisitions in recruitment, I mentioned this one earlier, KPMG's advice in episode 25, very good uh, listen there. If you think about leadership in a time of change, episode 24 with uh, Susan Clues of ACAS is a good listen. Or uh, the latest from across the industry with uh, your REC team on episode 26, all wor- well worth your time. But I hope you've enjoyed this episode and do join us again for another episode of the REC podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this episode helpful. Head to our COVID-19 hub on www.rec.uk.com forward slash COVID-19 for the latest guidance on managing your business during these unprecedented times.